Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I mean, we can't do it all again. I mean, no, we can't. I don't know what it was. Let's just keep. I don't know what it was. Let's just keep going where we were. Um, I'll say, fuck, dude. I really am apologize about that. Oh, that's um, okay. I don't care. That's fine. <laughs> we're, we're, this, we're, how, it, how, can, how can we care? We're ending the podcast. That's it, baby. Who gives a shit? We could just um, not put this up and just delete everything and be fine. <laughs> You drift from day to day, years go by. Then a change comes. I am able to change. I can be a good person. What a strange thing to happen halfway through your life. In Taxi Driver, the revelations disturbed you. In American Gigolo, the images provoked you. And now from Paul Schrader comes a story about the discovery of the spirit. Everything you need. The only danger is inside you. The lure of decadence. I have a strong feeling about this woman, a woman close to you. She will betray you. And the chance for escape. If I could do that, I could do anything. What does that mean? We could do anything. Somewhere in this isolated... This was not an accident. This person was murdered. Am I in danger? There's danger around you. It's very close. A girl died last night. It's a cover-up. There was someone else there. Damn you! Just get out! Is there something you want to say? I guess I'm a little worried. You and I need to get our stories straight. Somebody's talking to the police. Willem Dafoe. Come with me. Two of us. Susan Sarandon. Sure. Why not? Dana Delaney. What this feels like? A new film by Paul Schrader. Let's disappear. Sometimes it's possible to change. Welcome to 30 Years Later, the podcast hosted by me, Ricky Camilleri, and... And me, Chris Chafin. It's already, it already has such a weird tone, Ricky. You're already on. So you're on. You're totally on one. Today we're talking about Paul Schrader's 1992 film, Light Sleeper. For my money, one of his great masterpieces. Uh, possibly my favorite Paul Schrader film, though Blue Collar has always had, had that number one spot. But the more I watch Light Sleeper, the more I love it. It stars Willem Dafoe, Susan Sarandon. Um, uh, Dana Delaney. Dana Delaney. Um, Victor Argo, right? Is, Is that, that his, his name? name? That guy, yeah. Uh, hold on. Uh, I had it up, but then I had Michael Bean up, the guy who did the music. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's pretty awesome. This song is good. Is it just like, is it just one song that they keep coming back to over and over again? Or is it like technically different songs, but they just kind of all sound the same? So it was Willem Dafoe, Susan Sarandon, Dana Delaney, David Clennon, and Mary Beth Hurt. It is beautifully, stunningly shot by Ed Lockman the 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 legend ed lockman um and uh produced by uh linda reisman mario Casar. it was released august 21st 1992 a budget of five million and grossed in usual schrader fashion one million dollars <laughs> yeah that's pretty funny 
Um, I mean, um, I, I love this movie too, Ricky. It's like one of the movies that I think is like an archetypal movie for this show because it's like it's a it's a it's from a it's from a a world class director. It has a world class cast. It's beautifully done, but it's a kind of smaller, weirder movie that's got a kind of interesting tone that you don't see a lot in movies these days. And it's it's a movie I think a lot of people maybe are not familiar with, but it's it's an absolute classic to me. I would say the only other movie that you see this tone attempted is Paul Schrader's Card Counter, well, which yeah. is him attempting almost the exact same <laughs> tone. Well, it's like he calls like these these like man in a room movies, right? Where it's like many of them are these things, you know. Card yeah, Counter but... is a man in a room, like uh, First Reformed, a Taxi Driver, obviously. American Gigolo first reform. Yeah. But I think card counter specifically goes for this. To, like he's trying to recreate the Michael Bean music. Mm. Uh, I think in card counter to the point where I believe he's, it's actually music by someone. F- I, I, I could be wrong about this. I should really look it up, but I thought it was someone by Michael black rebel motorcycle club. Who's Michael, Michael Bean's son. Um, <laughs> really? That's really funny. Yeah. Oh, can I say something up. else about the production of this movie? Apparently the, just you were talking about the producers or whatever. Like apparently the whole production was a, in typical Paul Schrader fashion, like a disaster trying to get the money for the movie. Like everybody passed on the script, even with Willem Dafoe and even with Susan Sarandon attached, everybody passed on it. Then he got basically like Karolko to, to give the money to them for the movie after I think he, he paid for the production himself when it first started shooting. And then he got some money together from Karolko and you know, that's, how it happened, which is pretty funny. So I was correct. It is uh, Michael Bean's son, Robert Levon Bean, oh, so uh, doing doing the music for uh, for the card counter. So it's definitely, I think, the card counter he saw as a as a follow up to Light Sleeper. Now there's a lot more to discuss with Paul Schrader's Light Sleeper, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep you on hold in regards to Light Sleeper because we're about to talk about something big. Something huge that's happening here. Wow. Thirty years later, the the podcast that uh, you and maybe another person listened to <laughs> is 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 going on hiatus indefinitely. I would say. Yeah, I would say indefinitely. Um, it's been a great run. It's been a lot of fun to do with you, Ricky. Uh, obviously, we started it in the middle of the pandemic. And uh, pandemic's over. COVID's pandemic's gone. over, dog. COVID's Don't gone, so the it. fucking podcast just, is over too. We, we can, can just, just hang out. We can just hang out. Yeah, we can just go see movies together and hang <laughs> out and talk about the movies. Get a drink we afterwards. Don't have to do it pub. Yeah, we don't have like to do it publicly. People. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's I've gotten to meet a lot of great people. We've gotten to do a lot of fun things. These shows at Nighthawk, you know, like all We've the had great, great guests. Oh, that's what I meant. Like the great guests, like all the great writers and critics and uh, film industry people and podcasters and comedians. Like it's been really a joy, you know, and it's been so much fun to do, um, you know, editing it, not always fun, but sometimes it's kind of fun actually. Uh, and you know, but we've both got stuff going on in our lives. Our situations are like really different than they were when we started the show, like almost like insanely different. Um, you've got a lot of exciting stuff going on. That's going to be taking up your time. I have a lot of stuff going on that takes up my time. Uh, so like, you know, I think I think we're in a good place, and, and I think honestly, and, this is like a fucking amazing movie to do as the last episode before we go on hiatus because it's about like, you know, growing and changing, and like, you're who are you and what do you do, and like, 
you know, saying goodbye to that old life, saying goodbye to know? that old life. Right. You know, when, when, in New when, York, when, one time a DD told me that, uh, you're supposed to, you should quit dealing when you start a journal. I started a journal the next day. Uh, well, you know, I, I think, I, I think for the both of us, we were also finding that so much of our friendship, Chris and I were friends before the podcast and like the podcast was started so that we could hang out regularly in a way. Um, and it didn't feel like we were just zooming for no reason because I guess we need reasons to do things. Yeah, right. I don't know what yeah. it was, but now that, you know, I, I think for me, it, it sort of felt like um, we were sort of only hanging out in reference to this. Right. And like, I'd rather hang out more as buds and, and, and do other things than being like the only time I see you, it's a responsibility. Right. Although I think it's interesting to think about in terms of light sleeper, because like there's this running thing because there Susan Sarandon's retiring and she keeps saying every time she is in a, in a scene with, with Willem Dafoe, she's going like, man, I can't believe I'm not going to see you around anymore. Oh, it's so crazy. Like, cause she's like closing the business and it well, is, that's, that's it's, sad. It, yeah. I mean, it doesn't say that that's not going to be us. <laughs> I was just gonna say it is true like it's so funny like how the shit works like that like I had the same job for four years I used to hang out with these people at, that I worked with all the time we go out to drinks all the time together and then like I got a new job the pandemic happened I had a baby like I haven't seen any of those fucking people in years and yeah, it's really weird you know and there's a great a, part a... too where Susan Saran is talking about like this movie producer and she's like oh he couldn't take a shit I didn't know about it like I knew every woman he fucked everything then I, I told him to get clean he had to stop doing drugs and you know what the last thing he said to me was I'll keep in touch <laughs> it's like but that's because so that she, it's so beautiful you know she knew those people through work you know those people through right, work right, right we right. knew each other before this became quote-unquote work i mean right. it was it shouldn't have become work and i think that we both realized that we'd like to uh our friendship to not only consist of work no, though i agree i, I agree no i have I have proposed our friendship be based around another project. Yeah, another project. Forward. Yeah, exactly. Which is great. I mean, and I think it's good. It gives us some reason to hang out and talk. Um, but no, and, Ricky, and we were friends was, before. We were friends beforehand. We'll continue to be friends. Uh, you know. I, you know, I was telling my girlfriend last night that like uh, I feel like I don't really see you or your daughter ever because we see each other doing this, and I would rather have our time when we get together, be like, I get to hang out with your family. I mean, that would be great. Family. I would love that. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like, uh, we don't make plans or think about that because it's like, we, we, we have plans to do this every week. <laughs> yeah, right. Every, yeah, exactly. That's true. Right. And there's, and, you know, I get it. There's only so much someone can take of me. I'm a lot. <laughs> no, I don't, so feel I, that, I, I don't feel I, that way I, at all. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't expect, uh, you know, I wouldn't expect the plans to, to, to be made or to want to be made <laughs> because, you know, there's only so much, there's only so much you can, you know, spend time with someone who's just thinking about the next thing to say. So. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so on that note, let's, uh, let's talk about light sleeper, the Paul Schrader film from 1992, Willem Dafoe plays a um, high-end Coke dealer working for Susan Sarandon, and he's having, um, you know, uh, questions of not necessarily conscience, but questions of identity, who he is, where he belongs in the world. Should he be continue to do what he's doing? Just like, what's um, next? You know, he says there's a great scene where he says, I'm 38, 40, you know, I, I yeah. never really saved any money. Like, what, what am I going to do? 
I mean, the best part about that though is that he's saying it to like a palm reader. I know it's it's like it's it's set up like it's his psychiatrist, but it's somebody who's like reading his aura, Hold which on. is pretty funny. It's one of the many great, actually. One of there's so many things about this movie I really love. Um, you know, I'm somebody that had a, a career in the sort of nightlife industry for a long time and the sort of creative industries and then kind of transitioned into something else. And I was reading this interview with Paul Schrader today. Um, or maybe this was actually in an essay from a movie. Which, so no, I was also reading an interview from the time it came out from filmmaker magazine, which is pretty great. But um, I was just talking about how like you find yourself an old person in the world of young people. And you sort of think to yourself, like, how the fuck did I end up here? Like, why am I in this business where it only has young people in it? Like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't care about the same shit these young people care about anymore. Like, it used to be everybody was my age. I mean, and Susan Sarandon at one point says, like, oh, it used to be the scene everybody was the same age, which, of course, it still is. It's just that she's the old weirdo now. Everybody else is still the same age. Um, I forget why. Yeah, I you don't really see that many young people, though, in the movie that they're dealing to. Everyone they're dealing to is their age. I guess like David Spade is like the one young person that they're dealing to. Right. And actually what you see at the top of the movie is that they're selling um, a larger supply to Sam Rockwell, who's much younger, who's selling to younger people. Right, right, right. He's like dealing Um, on the street, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There is like kind of a, there's only, it's funny because it's a movie about a drug dealer, but there's really only kind of one like, uh, half-baked style montage where he's going and meeting different, you know, all in half-baked, Dave Chappelle says, I kept selling and I kept meeting all different kind of stoners. <laughs> so it's like, there's a kind of, one, just, just one sequence like that with a couple different cokeheads that he meets. Um, it's right at the beginning, right? Right at the beginning, yeah. The guy who is an addict who he's going to kick in the face later. And yeah. then... Um, there's actually like that David scene Spade. that scene with that addict. This is one of this is another thing I like about this movie. Also, that was what I was saying. I, I like it that it was like I felt like I really identified with it as a person who's getting older in an industry that is dominated by young people. And you sort of feel like you've lost your place. I mean, I always remember um I used to be really into the the music scene. You know, I had a lot of friends that were in bands and I was I was a music journalist and people that own venues or practice spaces, all you know, all kinds of stuff. And you know, you go to a concert in Brooklyn and it's like I knew everybody there. I knew half the people there, right? And I, I talked to the same like 15 people, like every every single thing I went to. And then I had a, a day where I went to a concert and I didn't know anybody there. And not only did I not know anybody, but I saw other groups of people that used to be like what I used to have. And I was like, oh man, this fucking sucks. <laughs> like, I guess the scene is over. Is uh, there a musician or a band that makes that specifically makes you feel very old it's not exactly what you're talking about but i am curious if there's a oh, it's something some, that makes me some, feel old. some current group that makes you feel old well i'll tell you um uh parquet courts uh really and, well no they're so refer they're so referential andrew savage the guy from parquet courts was one of the guys in the scene like one of my friends that oh. i used to hang out with all the time so like that always just makes me sad because i just remember being friends with andrew and like you know, hanging out with him a bunch and hanging out with all our friends and just, you know, I'm ha- I'm very happy for him, obviously. But like, it's just, you know, anytime I hear it, I'm like, damn, you know, that's crazy, man. This guy used to be like a really good friend of mine, you know, uh, and that's just all gone now, you know. And this movie captures that feeling like really well. And it's not really a feeling that you 
make movies about, but this movie is about that in, in, in a lot of it. And I, I thought that was really great. And another thing I liked was like, you know, they're cocaine dealers and in a, in a, on a certain level, it's a cocaine movie. And uh, when he's talking, when Willem Dafoe is talking to that addict, he does, if you do cocaine, like he says to him, one of the kindest things he, you could say to somebody with this guy's asking to buy some huge amount of cocaine. And he's like, no, 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 look, I'm just going to sell you a gram and some downers. And like adding in the downers, like that's so nice. Like, oh my God, that's so nice because that's the only thing you want when it's like five in the morning and you're still like, you're not high anymore, but you can't relax or go to sleep. Like that your dealer would think of that ahead of time and be like, here's a couple downers for you. Like, that's so fucking sweet, dude. It made me like, it really touched me. I, that he I did will that. say, I, I will. One. Uh, the band that makes me feel old right now is 100 Gex. I oh yeah, heard them. Yeah, but yeah, they make sure. me feel they make me feel extremely old, dude. Two, they're they're old. They're an old band at this point, Ricky. Like they are like they're like five years. old I was old listening now. to them today, and I was like, um, two. You know, thinking about the way that Schrader approaches these sort of like. He, he, the man in the room is always kind of like a metaphor for a certain type of loneliness, you know, um, taxi driver, their occupation is a metaphor for a certain type of loneliness. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that loneliness is bred from having to constantly interact with other people, transactionally with other people right. who are more, who perpetuate the main character's loneliness. Right. Taxi driver in a taxi cab, American Gigolo uh, as a John. It's like he uh, breezes through their lives. Dealer, first and... reformed as a, as, a, as a priest that's receiving confessions, and that goes a certain direction. Card counter to me is the what? Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. I lost you. No, no, I I just stopped talking. Oh, I thought sorry. You sorry. It it like glitched. Oh, sorry. Um, no, no, no. That's okay. Uh, Card Counter is the one movie where, as much as I I, I like certain, I, I mean I I absolutely love how anti patriotic uh, Card yeah, Counter of is. Of course and, like, you do, you like, fucking rat. Yeah, like hardcore anti U S imperialism and, and anti military that movie is. But the central metaphor of the main character's loneliness being perpetuated by their occupation, like, is somehow not there in that movie. Mm -hmm. Like, it seems like it should be, it's Carl, it's called the card counter. It seems like you should, he should be at the, the card table more and more interacting with these people who are like hurting him existentially, but that's not actually what, where the movie goes. And maybe that was his intention, but I think that's kind of a problem with the card counter. Whereas like light sleeper is sort of the perfect distillation of, the the sort of Schrader man in a room occupational loneliness. I mean, uh, storyline. Card. Car, I agree with what you're saying about Card Counter. It's I don't have the data on this to back this up. It's always struck me as like half a script that he wrote in 2003 that he then came back to and added different things to over the years. So it's like sections of it feel really tight, but the whole thing to me is like. It doesn't quite hang together in the way that something like this movie does. I mean, this is from the interview he did with filmmaker where he says like about light sleeper. I had the idea in September. I finished the script by Christmas and I started shooting in March. Like I, I don't sick. get that feeling from the card counter, you know? 
Yeah, that's fucking awesome because that's like a fever dream. That's like you're watching the movie as you write it. You know, that's yeah. intense focus. Um, but I think that Light Sleeper, there's something about it where whether, you know, he it's hard to say because he was making it so fast and it wasn't some sort of long-winded labor of love like the card counter ended up kind of being because they ended up having to cobble together all this different money so they could finish it because of COVID. Um, but light sleeper feels like distilled his, his best entry in, in, I think this, this category of movies, taxi driver is obviously the masterpiece of this, uh, of, of the man in a room. Um, can I, you sort of can't, can't beat that movie, but you know, with Lockman cinematography with Defoe, with the Michael Bean score, it's it's a pretty specific and beautiful New York film. Yeah, can I talk, can I read something from this interview again? So this is, again, from this interview with Filmmaker. He's talking about how this movie, how Light Sleeper shares elements with film noir, which it obviously does, you know, right from the beginning. I guess he had written this essay called Notes on Film Noir, uh, which is this is they're kind of talking about. Uh, so he says... I got, it, I got it right here. Each of those films has the same structure. A person goes from day to day, place to place, and has a job which takes him into other worlds. He's sort of a voyeur who looks into other other people's lives, but doesn't have a life of his own. And events happen, and sometimes they seem of consequence, and sometimes they don't. And at some point, the events coalesce and form a plot, and he's under enormous pressure. There's an explosion and an epilogue. Uh, I, I like that structure. I like the idea of the plot slowly insinuating itself into the drama. Um, and I think you can see that in this movie. And I think you can see that in like a lot of Paul Schrader movies. A lot of these ones we've been talking about, man in a room movies where it is. It's like, I mean, and this is a, it's, it's a good structure, right? It's like a person. And first of all, you get to show a lot of a world that maybe you're interested in talking about through the vehicle of this character. Who's kind of a cipher. And then you get to create a situation where suddenly the cipher has to decide what is important to him. And like, what is his, um, how is he going to react in this high pressure situation? And then, you know, like he says, there's an explosion and then there's an aftermath. And I mean, right. I mean, I'm thinking taxi driver, right. Especially you can definitely see how that is what happens in taxi driver. Um, but this movie too. And, and uh, first reformed for sure. Lots of his films. It's an interesting, right, first, yeah. First reformed American gigolo, uh, the card counter. I mean, Basically, all of his movies, except for Taxi Driver, which is not his movie, um, end with the, not all of his movies, but all these Man in a Room movies have the same ending. They're all the ending of, they're all the ending of Pickpocket, which he's been kind of remaking uh, over and over again, to the point where First Reformed was the first time he was able to shoot in a sort of 4-3 ratio, which was a direct call to um, Pickpocket, um, but he... When I talked to him about it, the time I, I was like, "Finally, you're shooting like this," and he goes, "I know. No one would let me until now." <laughs> like he had always kind of wanted, which is strange to say because Light Sleeper and American Gigolo are so fucking slick. You know, they yeah. are slick, polished, beautiful films. I mean, yeah, it's like you know, steam on the asphalt in Manhattan is like the second shot in this movie. You know. It's yeah, it's slick and everybody is dressed nice, but there's also a sense in this movie of like the party's over, you know, it's the end of an era. And I think that this is another way. This is the perfect last movie to do and the perfect movie for this show, because this is the movie about like the eighties being over, you know, like these are people of the eighties 
and they are like know that their fucking time is up and they is don't know what the, to do about it they don't know what to do I, about it i think I, like i think this movie is actually steeped in the feelings of the 80s in this just by what just just in the fact that there is a garbage strike throughout the entire movie well yeah and the city's covered in garbage well like, yeah that like they are not but i think the character is like in the I, in the movie they're talking about like our time is over that's like lord of yes. the rings like they need it's the age of men they need to go to the isle of the mist they see the you know go beyond their the veil i mean they're they've grown out of their lifestyle but the movie definitely hasn't grown out of a perspective of new york that was coming out of the 80s you know well, like, i think that's like movie... paul schrader like that's just his perspective because that was his time that he you know is referencing well, that he that he knew about think... you know well, that's I don't think New York has come out of that yet. And I don't think these guys are really even see like bringing out the dead takes place in 1991 or 1992. You know, like these guys in 90 New York was, I think, possibly still at the height of its of its of, uh, of the uh, of its crime stats in the early 90s. But this is the thing is it's going from like cocaine, go go 1980s to being like crack. Right. She talks know, about crack. Being, yeah, yeah. You know, like shootings and you know crack houses and that kind of stuff which is a, a shift you know and it was maybe overblown at the time but i think you know it's a real thing that crack cocaine was invented at some point and yeah you know it was different the it's hi- different the highest crime totals were recorded in the late 80s and early 90s is the crack epidemic surge so i think what you're actually seeing with 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 them is that they're feeling like their time is up because it's getting more dangerous and just like, you know, they're getting older, like the drug scene is changing, you know, like the people who do who buy from them are changing. And, you know, it's it, it is like a <clears throat> it's like any kind of service business, like they've got their kind of like legacy clients who are kind of like also old weirdos like them. But, the you know, they're kind of disengaged from the culture at large, you know. Right. This is the uh, first of. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven collaborations between Defoe and Schrader. Yeah, apparently they met on uh, Last Temptation Last of Temptation. Christ. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then this is, yeah, this is the first time they actually work together. And I mean, right, we have to talk. Willem Defoe's the star of the movie. He's so great. He looks like he weighs 98 pounds. They, they must have, they have him in like vampire makeup. Like he's so pale. But also he looks like very handsome and, and charming when, when he needs to be. Oh, he looks great. But also he has this way of being where it's like, you know, it's like a, like, like a lizard person. You know what I mean? Where he's kind of like doing an impression of people's emotions a lot of the time. Um, and, and I thought that is used to like really great effect in this movie because he is supposed to be somebody who like, you know, he's empty in a lot of ways, you know, mm-hmm. anytime you see him and he's not around other people. I mean, this sounds stupid because this is what everybody does, but he just seems so like shut off. Like he's just like walking around, like looking at stuff, like, like he's just like an empty vessel, you know. Apparently, Schrader was going to use songs from Bob Dylan's Empire Burlesque, but they couldn't agree on which songs to use from from the album. Yeah, it says in this so, interview, he says, um, "I d- Bob didn't want to give me the songs I wanted, and I didn't want the songs he gave me." So, like, <laughs> um. Ebert loved it. Entertainment Weekly liked it. Um, uh, Timeout Film thought the story meandered 
and it echoes Taxi Driver and American Gigolo so closely that Schrader is working less than fresh variations on over-familiar themes. Fuck off. Go to hell. Jeff Andrew. Like, talking about. Yeah. You um, should be so lucky to have an artist working out familiar themes over and over again. One of the things I like about this movie, uh, and, and as opposed to a lot of these other Man in a Room movies we're talking about, even though this is a movie that ends in a brutal shootout and is about has a suicide and you know it's about drug dealers or whatever, I I find it to be a very gentle movie. I find it to be very like full of warmth in a lot of ways. A lot of the times you're seeing like people who really care about each other and they're spending a lot of time trying to figure out how to communicate to somebody how much they care about them, you know, or they're trying not to say how much they care about somebody because they have some intellectual reason they don't think they ought to say it. You know, uh, and I think that's like also, again, an unusual thing. But I think that that's that just strikes me as so, so true to life. You know, well, that go- that goes back to the thing about the um, the boss and employee con- assumption conflict. Right. Yeah, yeah, assuming yeah. assuming that, you know, how someone feels versus asking and, and, and finding out those are the usual those are the generally the the primary conflicts in my life, I think, where I assume someone does a doesn't like me b does like me c wants me or doesn't want me and they have no idea about yeah, right. me and you just have you i know? mean that's what life is like especially i mean you know what especially in our digital age it's like you send somebody an email and you immediately start imagining their reactions and what they're thinking and then by the time right. you get the email back you're like I, i'm like afraid to read it because i have like two or three things I'm sh- absolutely sure that it's going to say. And like, that's wh- crazy. I'm not, do- I'm not taking part in that. anymore. <laughs> I know. I want to just be present. I want to just like, you know, if you send me a message, I want to just read it and not be like all in my fucking head about what I think it says. And like how anxious I am about what I think you're mad at me about, or like going to criticize me for something that I'm worried about. And it's like, just fucking read a fucking email, dude, you know, like, but I have such a hard time with that. I really do. But then again, it, you know, people used to call and leave a message and then fret over whether or not the person was going to call them back or not. Right. Yeah. It's right. like the same thing, except the difference is the message didn't necessarily say like what they needed them to call them back over. Right. An email or a text often says like, Hey, uh, I had a good time hanging out last night. Let's, I hope we can do it again. Or something or other. You yeah, know? I yeah, guess a voice. Yeah. I guess a voicemail would say that too, or an answering machine message. And I guess before that, people literally left calling cards, right? Like they came by your house and left a card in your parlor, and you know you had to go yeah. and arrange a meeting with them. This is crazy. One of the reviews of Light Sleeper says, "Light Sleeper requires patience." Did you feel that this movie required patience? No, like, I felt sucked in immediately. I felt like yeah. I was watching like a bunch of cool ass people do interesting stuff and I wanted to see what was going on. And you want to know what's going to happen. You're like, God, what's like, what's going to happen to this guy? He's clearly on the edge. Yeah, right. And you know, like you're saying, there's this drug montage at the beginning where David Spade is talking about like he's blowing rails with his shirt off and talking about how he can prove the existence of God, you know, which is like great cocaine stuff, you know? Yeah. And you're just like, it's interesting. It's interesting and it's sad. And it's, uh, if you're somebody like that lives in New York city, you know, a lot of it is so true. And, and it has that thing that a movie like good time has that I, I really like, which is it's about the parts of New York that you spend a lot of time in, if you actually live in New York, 
but that aren't like what a movie set in New York takes place in. You know, there are all these kind of weird little rooms, like weird hotel rooms, weird apartments, like, you know, taxi cabs, street corners, like lobbies of buildings, like all the stuff that is is a lot of your lived experience, but is like, you know, not dramatic. So it's not the things that get included. I love the moment at the top of the movie where he sells coke to a guy in like a Xerox copy. Yes. Store. No, like it's like a record in. store. It's like a record store. No, go back and watch. It's a, it's like a Xerox copy store. Oh my god! It's not a record store. Doesn't like, it yeah, say like it. we have tapes or we have records or something on the window? I don't know. I was looking closely because I was like, is this a record store? Is this a record store? And then it. But then again, it's nineteen. It's like a Xerox. It's nineteen ninety two in Manhattan. Like I believe that it is both a Xerox store and a record store. <laughs> like I believe right. that a hundred percent. Yeah. Could be both. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I really love this film. It's one that I return to often. I think it's one of Schrader's top two, three movies. Um, and he is, you know, a legend, a hero, one of the greatest screenwriters, filmmakers we've ever had. Um, it's something that I think people should watch as soon as they can, if they've never seen it, and just absorb, get sucked in. You're going to love it. All right. You want to do the questions now? Oh, yeah. Our questions. Uh, you were like ending was, the episode right was, there, weren't you? <laughs> I was wrapping up. Um, yeah, I think, uh, okay, so at the end of every episode, and, you know, this one shouldn't be any different, we asked three questions, and we can, don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But um, the first one is really easy. It's just, what's your favorite part of the movie? Uh, Ricky, what, what's your favorite part of this movie? Uh, I think my favorite part of this movie is when... Uh, after Willem Dafoe's ex-girlfriend jumps out of a window and kills herself, he visits his um, uh, his sort of psychic that he's seen once before. And he asks her, uh, he wakes her up in the middle of the night and he asks her, you know, what does she see around him? And she's like, it's also played by Paul Schrader's wife, Mary Beth Hurt. And she basically goes like, oh, I don't know, death? Is he death? <laughs> And he's like, what? You see death? What should I do? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go back to bed. And he like freaks out and goes and buys a gun. (laughs) I just, I love, I love in movies when someone who is so far over the edge and looking for a reason to do something gets that reason from something uh like fairly innocuous you know right. it's and it's a, like it's they're like, projecting onto it you know yeah it's like uh honestly it's like whenever somebody is like a, a violent movie or like something a politician said or something you know in a song made someone commit an act of violence it's like no they didn't it was like they were they wanted to do it anyway and they yeah were just they were like, freaked yeah. out and looking for a reason to fucking shoot somebody and all of a sudden they heard you know someone on a song be like shoot him up and they went and did it that was it you know yeah um i mean really my favorite part is probably you know willem dafoe he's so great he's giving such a great performance in this movie he looks in otherworldly you know like i said he looks like a lizard person but in the best way uh i i it's just a real pleasure to watch him be sort of like alienated and full of longing and uh you know just trying to 
I mean, I identified with this. I'm 40 years old, you know, like I'm watching this movie about somebody like completely unmoored from their life and just trying to figure out where they're going next at, at this point in their life. I was like, yeah, I, mean, I feel that so hard. And I felt like he gave such a great performance of that how do you feel? How could you how could you possibly feel that feel that you have a child? You're not going fucking anywhere, dog. You're stuck. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Yeah, that's kind of part of it, I guess, you know, <laughs> You hey, but you know weird. what? You know what, Ricky? You yeah, can the, just... the further the furthest place you're going is like a a, a vacation house. You know what? The, you know what the thing is, Ricky. Um, you can just it's it's not illegal to just leave your family. You can just do it <laughs> if you want. They will not put you in jail. You can just leave. That's how the podcast ends: is you leave, <laughs> you leave your family, your beautiful family. Um, but another thing I really like in this movie is um. There's this a moment, and I can't, again, I don't have the receipts on this, but I, I think I read this somewhere. Um, there's a moment when uh, Willem Dafoe is out on the street with Dana Delaney's sister after Dana Delaney has died, and they're having some really intense conversation. And a woman, like, bumps into the two of them and goes, like, you think I give a shit about you? I don't give a shit about you, and, like, walks off into the, into the around the corner. Like, that was, uh, supposedly that was real. Like, that just really happened. Like, they were just filming on the street in Manhattan, and some woman did that, and they just, like, kept it in the movie. And, you know, the, the two of them <laughs> oh, yeah. do a really good job of just, like, acting how you would really act if some crazy person in New York City ran into you and started yelling at you, which is you just kind of, like, shut up and tense up and wait for them to leave. And that, and, and that is kind of the rule in New York City is that's what happens. You like you can freak out and yell at somebody, but then you have to walk away, and that's and that's just kind of the social compact here. And so I really like that. The second question that we ask is, you know, when we started this podcast, uh, we didn't think ahead that every uh, movie we watched would be from the '90s. So we ask the second question. What's the most 90s thing that happened in this movie? Yeah, I mean, um, part of the answer for me is the thing I was talking about, about the way it feels like a sort of requiem for the 80s and the sort of like passing of the torch of this one era of culture and into a new era. And that's, you know, very this time in the 90s that's relevant to. Um, but another thing I'll say, like very specifically about this specific moment in the 90s, so this movie came out in 1992 and right. It was written starting, you know, six months before it came out or whatever. Um, is the fact that like Dana Delaney is one of the stars. Like it's really easy to forget, but she was so big at this moment in the, in 1992 because like China beach was like the, was like Mad Men at the time. It was this show about Vietnam, and she was really? the star. Yes, and it won. It won the Golden Globe for best drama. I my parents used to watch it. It was a very very popular show. It ran for four years, four seasons, and the main thing of the movie was that like Dana Delaney was, or of the show was that Dana Delaney was hot and like was a good actress, and she was huge, huge at this particular moment. The show had gone off the air like. In, at the end of 1991, I think. And then this movie comes out in like the summer of 1992. Um, so obviously it's like she's trying to stretch and do some different stuff and also maybe doesn't have like blockbuster offers or something. But um, just the fact that Dana Delaney is in this movie like preserves for all time that little sliver of pop culture, you know? And it's like very weird. Man, I wonder what happened. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Because it was a big deal. It was a big deal. 
Like I said, because I was thinking, because I was, as I was watching it, I'm like, am I, am I misremembering that that show was a big deal? And then I was Googling it, and it's like, has won all these awards, like Golden Globe for Best Drama and like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, you know, it was. It was a big deal. And she was a big deal. Whoa. Yeah. It's one of these like That's very so forgotten, very forgotten TV shows. What was it called? China Beach? China Beach, yeah. Which was the oh, name yeah, of she... a real beach in Vietnam, I think, you know. And she was the star. Yeah. Huh, and they, it looks like they only did two seasons? No, I think it's four seasons. They did four seasons of this shit? <laughs> yeah, dog. Oh, and what's her what's her what's her name was on it too? Um, I don't know how to answer that. Francis, Fran, <laughs> no, it looks like was it? Is it Francis Fisher? No, oh, that's not know. Francis Fisher. I don't know who that is. Oh Judge. my god, this picture is this picture of this show is extremely funny. The one where they're like, like in bikinis and sitting on this guy's knee. This one. No, it's one where like the three women are dressed like they're. This oh, is a cast god. photo of China Beach. <laughs> Dude, TV, like. People want to complain about the industry now, and I'm sure there's a lot to complain about. But, like, have you ever watched the pilot of Wings? It is <laughs> gratuitously sexist. I actually have not, no. I mean, I th- I'm sure I have, but... And oh, yeah, like you know for... who's in China Beach is the doctor from Star Trek Voyager, Robert Picardo. He's one of the... <laughs> Whoa. He's great. That is something I was not expecting to hear. <laughs> something that's very meaningful to you. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little, I, I'm a little blown away You're by blown that. Blown away. Um, yeah. so the most '90s thing about this movie for me is, um, I don't have a better answer than that. That that Chris. I mean, I, I think that. It, to me, it kind of still feels like a little bit of an 80s movie. Yeah. But at the same time, I do think New York looks like early 90s New York by this point. It doesn't yeah. necessarily look like 80s New York. And I'm not exactly sure why. Yeah, it's but, something about... I mean, I was reading one of the essays was talking about how, like, as opposed to Taxi Driver, where you've got, like, lurid, sex-filled Times Square, this is all kind of, like, cramped apartments and, you know... This is all downtown. This is yeah. all, like... East Village, Tribeca, Lower East Side. Well, one of the things that struck me right from the beginning as a New York person, it's like the one of the first shots is of like cobblestone streets, which is for for you to think of cobblestone streets being like the iconic New York thing. That's really just one tiny part of New York. Like, right. It's like the West Village. Uh, it's like, you know, Soho. And like that was the part that was vibrant and interesting around this time and you know these days of course is all like you know the swatch boutique or something like you would not it's not where the coke dealers and artists and weirdos hang out like not at all you know right i guess it is so obviously soho because it opens on a shot of wet cobblestone streets yeah exactly yeah 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 so the last question that we asked chris Chrissy, this is the last one. That's 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 a big deal, dog. It really is. And and end of an era. I know it really is. We've been doing this show for like two years, a little more than two years. Is that right? Mm, and what do we have to show for it other than our long-lasting friendship? Uh, 
yeah, you know, and we, we did those two live shows at Nighthawk. So the 10 people that came to those, that's something, you know. <laughs> I love that that was kind of like our, like, maybe this is mm. not, we should wrap, but yeah. But it's funny because it's also kept us doing it. The fact that we were asked to do it, we were like, well, I guess we should do it if they're asking us to do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then we did it and we were like, all right, well, that's fine. We did it. Now it's, uh, yeah. it's done with. Um, I think that uh, uh, the last question is this, is what have we grown out of? since this uh since this movie was released um i i i would honestly say very little considering uh paul schrader has yeah made this movie a couple more times he continues to make this same movie over and over again right exactly i don't think that we've seen a movie though about uh, a non-judgmental movie about a drug dealer right someone who wasn't like trying to get out of the business or something, and usually it's weed because everyone's too afraid of narcotics in movies. Yeah, um, and it's there's not. Drug dealer- it, there's not a drug deal gone wrong in this movie, which is very unusual no. for a drug dealer movie. Right. What goes wrong in this movie is not a drug deal. It's something else. Yeah. It's, it's Willem Dafoe's brain. <laughs> um. But yeah, well, what do I you think, think that. Well, like, do, do you think that um, Dana Delaney jumped out the window, or do you think that she was pushed? think she jumped yeah yeah i I don't know but then isn't the movie also building a case that maybe that guy is is the the murderer of the person they're talking about in the park and then there's also we the first time we meet him is in the emergency room because some girl is has od'd at his apartment and then also dana delaney dies at his apartment it's kind of building a case that like he is some kind of sadistic mass murderer but then maybe Will- it's all maybe it's all in Willem Dafoe's mind. Also, yeah, like so it say, doesn't in, yeah. in, in Willem Dafoe's head, it's building that case. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, he that's who's building the case is Willem Dafoe because he doesn't he needs something to do. Right. He doesn't yeah. have anything to do. It's like it's like you should it's take like some a, pottery classes. That's what I did. I didn't murder three people. You know. But it's like you know it's like. It's like uh, De Niro and Taxi Driver needing to save Jodie Foster, right. even though she doesn't want to be saved. Yeah, right. He keeps he keeps thinking about it. He keeps thinking about those lecherous men inside the inside the building, and even the scene in Taxi Driver where Keitel is dancing with Jodie Foster, we see De Niro watching the window from from you know a few flights below just to make sure that like the audience recognizes that this idea could be in his head and not something that is happening chris i I think you know i think we should wrap it up bro. yeah we should wrap it up dude it was so great to talk to you about this movie so great to talk to you about all these great selection you chose this movie you pushed to do this this last thing really great it was great Uh, you know like the whole show is just a great excuse to watch this great movie and talk to my good friend about it um it was your idea to do the show in the first place and i really am glad that you had the idea and I'll forever be touched. You asked me to be a part of it. And, you know, thank you very much. Thank you to on honestly, thank you to everybody who's listened to the show and, and commented on it and sent us messages and, and appeared on the show. It, it, it means a lot to us. Uh, it's just really nice to have people, you know, take part in this dumb thing with us. So thank you. Do you want to go see a movie this week? Just to make sure to. that we hang out this week. I've to. got, I've got my cousin in town and I'm taking him basically to movies all week. I think I think Monday night, I don't know, I might take him to see Heat at IFC.
Yeah, just whatever. I don't have any plans this week. I don't.